Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are merely role players, where theatrical people play role playing games. I'm Matt Boothman, and I'm your compare for this main house production. Here on Merely Role Players, we improvise stories for your entertainment and ours. And we use role playing games to keep the story going places even we can't see coming, because as theatrical people, we're all about maximising the drama. This is Act 1 of Vigil, Cold Snap, one of our main house productions. The main house is where we stage ongoing serial stories, with characters and plots that develop and unfold over several productions. Vigil is the story of the outsiders and weirdos who step up to defend their neighbours from monsters and worse, after the government cuts their town's official team of paranormal investigators. To tell this story, we're playing Monster of the Week, a role-playing game by Michael Sands, published by Evil Hat. Cold Snap is our second Vigil production, after Playtime. You don't need to have caught up on Playtime to enjoy Cold Snap, but they do share a setting and potentially some ongoing plot threads. Starting now, we'll release a new act of Cold Snap every other week, and to keep you going through the weeks in between, we'll release backstage episodes that give you a peek behind the scenes, so stay tuned for one of those next week. For now though, please take your seats in the main house. Tonight's production is about to begin. Vigil, a Merely Role Player's main house production. Cold Snap, Act 1 of 6. Let's meet the players for this fresh new production, starting with uh, Starkey. Heyo! My name is Chris Starkey. I have been a long-term member of our Millie Role Players community, and I'm playing the wronged Cameron Jarvis. Uh, And who would you like to introduce themselves next? Throw it forward. I would like Josh Yard to introduce himself, please. Hello, everybody. My name is Josh Yard, long-time collaborator with Millie Role Players. I am playing Ginny Greenteeth, the Spell Slinger. And to my left, I have the wonderful Natalie Winter. Hello, I am Natalie Winter, also a long-term, but not quite as long-term, Millie Role Players collaborator. I am playing Gwyneth, the Divine. And finally... Hi, I'm Strat. Long time, <laughs> I don't know why I started this. Uh, it was fun. <laughs> I'm Strat, long term mini role players collaborator. Um, I am playing Briar, 
the monstrous. Very good. We have a uh, a high magic team uh, ensemble this for this adventure. Um, how's everybody feeling? It's been a long time since you did character creation uh, in real time. Everybody excited to finally bring these characters properly to life? Oh, oh yeah. yes. Very much so. It's going to be amazing. Cannot wait. Yeah, I feel like this is a, uh, both in terms of the players and in terms of the characters' abilities, I feel like we have high chaos potential for this adventure. <laughs> yep. So let's get, let's start the chaos, shall we? Everybody ready to play? <laughs> let's yeah. go. Yeah, let's, do let's do it. Let's do it. The birds are singing in the Rosebriar Forest, which borders the town of Sheridan. It's not the, uh, the calm, conversational bird calls, but it's not mating calls, it is alarm calls, because there, are, there is a party of people tramping through this area of the forest. The forest is overgrown, uh, the undergrowth is very thick, and it's all coming into uh, green leafy beauty uh, as spring is springing throughout the Rosebriar Forest. There are three people, three main people in this party. One is an inspector from the National Trust who is here to review biodiversity data on the Rosebriar Forest. This is a protected forest and that status needs to be reviewed every now and then by making sure that it does indeed still have a scientifically interesting number of different birds and plants in it. With this inspector, are two others. The first is the head of the local National Trust team. Strat, would you like to introduce your character, please? Yes. So, Briar, they're currently in the form of Robin Goodfellow. He is, as you say, the manager of the local National Trust site, uh, the Rosebriar Forest. He's probably kind of late to early 40s. He's that sort of like old money kind of look where everything's kind of old and worn but you know it's super high quality like it's those people that they could get new stuff but they don't need to it's not tweed print it's actual tweed exactly yeah yeah um he's sort of sort of like salt and pepper hair but a very kind of like strangely youthful face still everything not a hair out of place um a very kind of like neatly grown kind of full beard almost looks a bit more like fur rather than hair in the way that it um it falls and it is 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 kind of grown and uh, yes he is uh walking confidently through the woods uh and if you were to pay attention uh, you would notice that as he moves around, he's making very little noise for someone walking over sticks and leaves and, uh, and such like. And this inspection, uh, Briar has quite a lot riding on this because uh, Briar has an investment in this forest remaining protected Absolutely do, uh, yeah. for reasons that we will discover. But in that light even, how seriously is Briar taking proceedings? I think it's it's kind of like a an, there's an internal battle going on because they do realise the seriousness of this, but also there is great potential for mischief and enjoyment with this inspector. 
uh, I imagine the inspector has already tripped up over a root and fallen face first into a puddle of mud. And Briar has made a very big uh, performance of, of helping them out and kind of dusting the, them off and, and being, you know, very, very uh, kind and, and helpful. <laughs> but it was definitely his fault that the guy tripped. And uh, also with this small party is another member of Briar's slash Robin Goodfellow's National Trust team. Nat, can you introduce your character, please? Yeah, uh, pretty newly initiated into the team is is Gwynedd, who is uh, is walking along probably uh, behind the inspector if uh, if Robin Goodfellow is in in front. She's wearing a lot of kind of dark linen but big stompy boots, and she's probably wearing like that kind of padded green gilet that you might get a National Trust person wearing, but she does not look comfortable in it at all. She's got this massive black curly hair that's kind of piled on top of her head and kind of half kept in place with a a scarf. And, and she's also kind of, she's not walking through the forest silently, but she's definitely finding it very easy to walk through all of the interwoven grass like anything even without briar's interference i think the inspector would be having to like tread carefully and pick around whereas if he actually watched Gwynedd properly she's just sauntering casually like (laughs) she's not finding it difficult i think yeah so the two of you are making this inspector look very clumsy uh what's this inspector like Uh, i imagine him quite officious yep little Mm. pair of glasses I think he's been sent there to do the inspe- inspection, but it's probably not someone that spends a lot of time in nature. Yes, definitely. He's an <laughs> office person. Yeah, for sure. I think before he, he arrived, he had the shiniest pair of shoes that Sheridan has ever seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. so shiny now. No, absolutely not. And is is currently alternating between trying to uh, clean his glasses after his fall with uh, a little microfiber cloth but also trying to do that while keeping as much of an eye on the undergrowth as possible so he won't trip again, and also trying to balance a clipboard and pen in the crook of one arm as well. <laughs> Definitely a clipboard and pen. Uh, yeah. I'd like to add a little detail to uh, Gwyn's uniform, if I may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the, the manager of the National Trust, Robin obviously is able to order the name badges uh, that they wear, and Gwyn mm-hmm. does not say Gwyn. Uh, no matter how many times she has asked for a new one, it always just says duck. <laughs> <laughs> and Robin insists yeah. that she wear it at all times. <laughs> does it also, do you, does it have like the position as well? Does it say like junior assistant or something on it? Like something quite like... Oh, no, maybe actually, no, this is better. This is better. It will say Gwendolyn. And then where it would usually say the position of the person, it just says duck. Yeah, <laughs> And I, I'd also like to add that when the um, when the inspector fell over into the mud, Gwyneth was just that far behind him that she, she didn't actually kind of lean forward to help. She was more like, oh, watch your step. <laughs> so now that the, inspector's, uh, the inspector finishes cleaning or, or gives up on cleaning their glasses as a, as a lost cause, puts them back on, refocuses, squints a little at the, uh, at the clipboard, uh, hmm. On the last survey, uh, there was, um, th- yes, the, the lesser crested grebe was, was incredibly prevalent. I would have expected to have seen one by now. I might have to, might have to mark this one down. <coughs> well, it's because we're not by the pond, you see. 
Yes, I, I think really um, what I wanted to, to show you, and I, I will let I will let Gwen help you out with this. She is she is the expert at, at sighting. But we've actually recently and, and very luckily spotted um, some golden pheasants. Uh, very rare, as you, you, I'm sure you, you all know, uh, and, and mm. generally uh, do frequent this sort of uh, sort of like grassed uh, area in, in which we find ourselves. I think, uh, Gwyn, are, are you sure? According to the according to the data, uh, golden pheasants haven't been seen in this part of the country in decades. Well, no, they they really like it here. Yes, I mean we were just as surprised as, uh, as everybody else, really. I, uh, Gwyn, take uh, take this gentleman uh, uh, just over where 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 you spotted them, uh, would you? I will stay uh, back. The fewer the fewer people uh, approaching their their habitat is probably the better. In fact, I'll just I'll just go over here uh, behind behind this bush. In fact, yes, just over here. Bye bye. Yeah. So if you step this way. They uh, they only particularly like to come out when uh, they they definitely can't see anyone. So let's let's come by come behind this tree here. We'll have to be quiet, obviously, because they don't like loud noises. So uh, you should probably make sure your phone is turned off. Oh, I I haven't got any signal out here anyway. It's for the best. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out over there. Look. So over there, look a. A golden pheasant is going to kind of just like poke its head around the corner of the tree, and then it's almost like cartoon, like like look left and look <laughs> right for threats, and then kind of like duck back a little bit, and then go forward again, and then look left and look right, and kind of like nod to itself, like it's happy, it's safe, and then I think the best way of describing it is it's going to walk uh, forwards. It's going to strut actually. It is going to strut forwards like it is on a catwalk, kind of really swinging its little birdie hips. <laughs> and it's going to get to the end and it's going to kind of like strike a pose and it's just going to turn around and it's going to, to strut back behind the tree. And uh, as it's going to go behind the tree, behind the bush, Robin is suddenly going to appear from there. It's like, oh, I forgot to say, uh, what, what you really must do is keep very quiet and make sure... Uh, that you, uh, you you can't be seen because they are very skittish and if they do come out they uh, they they may go away but I'll just go back behind this bush and go back behind the bush and as he goes back behind the bush the, the golden pheasant is going to come back out again <laughs> the inspector's mouth is open and his glasses are just slowly sliding down his nose without anyone <laughs> noticing so, so Gwyneth is going to push them back up his nose but like not missing a beat it's just going to be like yeah, so if you keep watching, it's actually um, it's actually the mating season, and if you're really lucky, they might show off that dance that they like to do. The golden pheasant is going to do its best job at glaring, <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of just like start to waddle side to side, and then actually go. Hang on, this is actually quite fun. And then its uh, feathers are going to come out side to side. And it's actually going to shimmy with <laughs> its feathers side to side. And then pirouette. And then bow. And and they always finish. They always finish their mating dance with a cry. <laughs> just going to call out. <laughs> it's just going to, to squawk. But it's going to sound oddly like it's squawking. Come and get me, boys. 
<laughs> so majestic. Briar, this is this is wonderful mischief. And the, the one-upmanship from Gwyneth is just making it the sweeter. But at the at the highest point, as the cry leaves Briar's transformed birdie throat, it's cut off and it's strangled as a feeling cuts through you. What does it feel like to Briar as two members of the magical fey community that they are responsible for are suddenly killed somewhere in the forest? I think for Briar, they're kind of connected, like as the guardian, I think they have just like this little feeling always of of their community they don't know necessarily exactly where they are or what they're doing or anything like that but like they they know they're there and if they concentrate they can kind of like pick up and go okay that that person's fine or that person's in trouble and i reckon the the death of these two it's almost like i don't know almost like losing a, a limb or something like something has just gone something that you don't necessarily think about all the time but you just kind of take for granted is there just suddenly isn't and i think that would be very distressing for him in a flash the golden pheasant isn't there anymore and instead a giant black stallion is stood where that golden pheasant was Any thought of trying to keep up pretense, I think, has left Briar's mind now. And he is going to trot over to Gwyneth, snort in her face, and kind of move the head to, uh, to indicate, you know, get so on. Briar knows, uh, even though this is kind of acting on instinct and um, not fully thinking things through, Briar is aware that though this inspector has just witnessed something magical, he will naturally forget this, it will stick in his short-term memory, and as soon as the Black Stallion is out of sight, he will start papering over this with some sort of justification in his long-term memory. That maybe a horse arrived and scared off the golden pheasant, rather than it turning into one. As soon as that happens and the horse comes over, Gwynedd tries to soothe the horse by rubbing uh, the nose and turns to the inspector and says, um, Well, you're very lucky. Two rare sightings in one day. That must be quite a lot for you to take in. Maybe you should um, make a note of that. And uh, as he turns, she's, I'm going to roll. So first magic first of roll. the session. What does it look like when Gwyneth does magic? I think for a mundane, they probably wouldn't notice per se. In this case, I think it is she is using the inspector's distraction and him turning to to write to kind of place a hand on like the nape of his neck and i think it's just her connection to the magic of the forest at the moment is just maybe there's a, a warmth that he feels and just a soothing channeling that throne all of the creatures that are asleep in this forest right now in their burrows uh just yeah. channeling that feeling of warmth and safety Cozy. and sleep into him. yeah nice what did you roll uh, I rolled a seven, but I have plus one weird, and magic is weird, so that's an eight. Okay. It's still not great, but... In this game, a ten is a success, seven to nine is a mixed success, six minus is a failure. 
So on a mixed success with use magic, it works imperfectly. So you get your effect, which is that he falls asleep. Uh, yeah. But what is the glitch? It's of a really short duration. I think um, he does fall asleep, but he probably wakes up within 10 seconds. But it's like enough that he kind of wakes up and thinks, oh, I'm in the forest. Was that a horse over no hang on so like we it's enough time for us to have gone yeah and for him to start thinking okay well i can't remember what happened yeah it covers your escape and no more like it's not enough time for any of the other national trust people to find him so he might be wandering the forest a little Oops. bit but it definitely covers your escape so what do the two of you do does gwyneth mount up if briar is okay with that then yes she does briar is adamantly gesturing that yeah, that yeah, is exactly yeah. what Get she on. should do so yes, we will go that full canter. Does Briar travel at normal horse speed? Well, I've got to be careful here because there is a move that I didn't take, which is preternatural speed. Okay, I cool. think that he is magically enhanced, but I don't want to be able to say, like, this horse can go 60 miles an hour. Because I think the, <laughs> the whole point of that is, like, you are like a blur. I think he is mm. he's faster than a normal horse, but we don't want to, we don't want to make it too powerful because that... Well, it might be that the forest doesn't affect your movement. That's so true, yeah. you don't trip over roots yeah. or you can just go through I brambles and things yeah bend out the way I, I i think as well if it's if it's somewhere that was super super far away and would take a long time to get there brian knows that Gwyneth could fly as there quicker so i think it if, if we're gonna go by horseback that is the appropriate speed the undergrowth parts saplings bend out of the way as Briar's hooves pound the ground and they head for the source of this disturbance. All right, lovies. It's me, Matt, your compere, nervously watching the audience in the interval, trying to gauge reactions. So now you've met Briar and Gwyn, and you'll meet Josh's and Starkey's characters in just a few minutes. If you're itching to know more about these new characters, you need to be following us on Twitter, at Merely Roleplay. Over the next week or so, we'll be posting some threads full of all of their likes and dislikes, backstory details, and relationships to others in Sheridan. The more you like the tweets, the more details we'll post. Or... If you're willing to wait a bit longer for your details, you can always follow along with the player's character creation processes in this production's backstage episodes. If you enjoyed Playtime, our previous Vigil production, don't worry, Percy the Time Traveller, Graham the Demon Accountant, Renko the Furloughed Doom Agent, and Sheridan's favourite Bricky Mick will all return in future productions. Speaking of Playtime... That scenario is now available for you to play with your Monster of the Week group in issue one of The Sheridan Inquirer. The Inquirer is an unofficial community newsletter written by a concerned citizen who's noticed strange things happening in Sheridan. It gives you all the monster stats, plot hooks, mystery countdowns, locations and character details you need to run a Monster of the Week group through the same scenario as Percy and Friends, so you can see how differently your players handle the perils of playtime. And on top of that, it includes some other strange happenings our concerned citizeners noticed, which might just hint at things to come in Sheridan. 
You can get the first issue of The Sheridan Inquirer from the link in the notes for this episode, or go to foggyoutline.com and click on Games. The second issue will come out at the end of Cold Snap, and give you all the details you need to run this mystery. If you've got a question about Sheridan or Vigil, there's an email address on the letters page in issue one. Send in your question, ideally in character as a citizen of Sheridan, and you could see it answered in a future issue. Now, just before I go call beginners for Josh and Starkey's first scene, I want to put in a good word for our friends at the Monster Hour podcast. Monster Hour is a grim camp production set in the town of Firmament, Colorado, telling their story using Monster of the Week, just like we're doing with Vigil. It is a finely balanced thing, between in-character action and out-of-character commentary, between dramatic violence, creepy atmosphere, and laugh-out-loud melodrama. I'll give you a little taste of Firmament right now, before we return to our seats in the main house for Vigil Cold Snap. Act 1 of 6. Hello everyone and welcome to Monster Hour, an actual play podcast about going to school, arguing with your parents, and ruining your favorite outfit while hunting horrible monsters. Narrative driven and crisply edited with painfully relatable characters. Monster Hour follows unlikely heroes JR. Super suspicious. That's sort of my deal. Constance. I may be a bit of a know-it-all, but I might actually know it all. And Alvin. My monstrous. As they unravel the sinister mysteries of a strange Colorado town. If you're a fan of Stranger Things, Buffy, or the Adventure Zone Amnesty, you'll love Monster Hour. Tune in for new episodes every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Elsewhere in the forest, there is a grove, a grove of oddities. There is a whispering well, there is a cave full of glowworms and fireflies, there is a quote-unquote pagan stone circle, and there is a gift shop. Josh and Starkey, would you like to describe the gift shop and your characters and their places within it. Certainly. Uh, the gift shop is a relic of times gone past, an old, rickety, hand-built wooden structure with a wonky door that lets a draft in, several shelves made of, uh, of, of, oak, of oak wood, firm oak wood. There's a smell of incense and burning candles in the air. Anybody that walks in that's above the height of around five foot ten will have to duck to enter, for that is an indication of how the the door is slightly too small for people of this era. Uh, they would also immediately smack their head on a set of wind chimes that hangs above the door, looking up into the ceiling, these open uh, timber beams of the ceiling uh, of this shop. You'd see a number of dream catchers, wind chimes, other paraphernalia of an oldie, worldy, druidic feeling establishment. It is a gift shop filled entirely with tat. Would anybody like to contribute some tat that is on the shelves of this gift shop? 
I am uh, currently stacking the shelves with book-shaped rubbers, pencils, little notebooks with uh, a picture of the stone circle, um, a tea towel. There are small small tartan tins of mints. And and shortbread. Mm. Yeah. There's more shortbread than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> and fudge. Fudge, always fudge. Um, there's those stupid mugs that have the pictures of animals, cartoon animals on. I forgot my... Is it Rendale or something? It sounds <laughs> stupid. My mum mm-hmm. is literally obsessed. My mum would love this shop. <laughs> so this is like built for my mother. Fridge magnets um, with people's yes. names and like what their names mean on them. Mm-hmm. Lots of, yeah, lots of incense and scented candles for sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few little wooden pagan style uh, figurines. Keep calm and have a cream tea, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I heart sherry down aprons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and since you've said that you're stacking the shelves, uh, your character is stacking the shelves, Starkey, uh, what do they look like? You see a young, well, mid-twenties looking man. Uh, he's wearing a baseball cap, a little green baseball cap. He has a green polo shirt on, which is slightly too small, um, which displays his impressive pecs and arms, which are too big for the sleeves. Not like bodybuilder size, but this is a, a size too small t-shirt that his boss has only ever had one of, and it was for a, a teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm wearing uh, khaki sort of chinos uh, that are again slightly too tight around the quads and around the buttocks. If you were to look closely, you would notice a steely gaze of someone who doesn't miss much. Or doesn't think they miss much anyway. And supervising Cam, or well, what is what is Ginny doing in the gift shop currently, and what does she look like? Ginny stands behind the counter, going through the receipts, double checking invoices from the latest batch of tat that was shipped over. Ginny is an elderly woman, uh, slight build, long, flowing white hair. She wears old-fashioned clothing, a blouse, and a long flowing skirt covering her legs and feet entirely. But on her feet she wears a pair of Birkenstock sandals. Uh, And in her hair she's currently wearing a wreath of locally sourced organic flowers (laughs) uh, that have been woven into a sort of a crown. Uh, She wears a little name badge that says Ginny Green Teeth on it. Her face, although well-worn and well-lived, still has a certain sharpness. Uh, Her eyes portray a certain ferocity. And to all intents and purposes, she seems to be very much on Cameron and what he's doing as she's checking through the receipts. So I have two questions about this scene. Uh, Are there any customers in the gift shop? And is Cam stacking the shelves to Ginny's satisfaction? I think maybe this is pre-opening. I think maybe we're uh, half hour before the doors are due to open, before the first coach load of tourists arrive. Uh, and, and the shelves are bloody perfectly stacked. Like, every pencil is in line, every rubber is in place. Uh, if Cameron sees something that's slightly askew, he spends far too long making sure it's perfect. He cannot stand disorder. In fact, the fact that there are wind chimes hanging over the front door drive him mad because he just wants to just raise them up ever so slightly. They should just be clearing the door frame. 
and, and he just he can't stand the fact that when he turned up to this place for the first time it was a mess of candles and incense burning and junk everywhere since he's been there it is like a it is a well-run shop this is the perfect orderly gift shop and he cannot stand it when Ginny decides to move the the diaries to the other side of the room without telling him. Ginny looks up at Cameron stacking the pencils and the rubbers and uh, and she says, Cameron, love, if you're going to spend all of your time stacking and reorganising those rubbers, we'll never open the bloody shop, will we now, my love? Uh, just, uh, old woman, just what, one second, okay? Just what? There's just this was one rubber. Cameron, Cameron uh, love, Cameron love, you've got to stop sweating over the small stuff, okay? We've still got plenty to do. I need you to go and check the bogs to make sure that we've got toilet paper, all right? I need you to go down to the mushroom patch and make sure that those toadstools are well polished. And I need you to let me know if any of the glowworms have gone out. I need to replace the bulbs. He uh, he's just about to put the rubber in place, and he just gives Ginny a look of pure death. It's like, just let me finish this first. One more Please. rubber. And then go and check the toilets, all right, my love? He, sends, he takes 30 seconds to put the rubber in place. <laughs> Ginny goes back to the receipts, keeping one eye on Cameron the entire time. He puts the rubber down and goes to the toilets. Honestly, that boy. Cam, do you do the, the rest of these rounds of going like out of the gift shop and checking the other locations of the Grove of, Grove of Oddities? Yep, the, the toilets are perfectly stocked, of course, as he knew they were. The only reason he went to go and check is because Ginny sometimes moves things around without telling him. He, uh, he goes outside, he goes to check the mushroom patch. It all seems to be in order. He goes to the cave, which he doesn't really like a huge amount. And he notices the glowworms are fine. Has Cam been working here long enough to be able to see the sort of the subtle enchantments and charms that Ginny has wo- woven around this place to fool the tourists. Yes, definitely. He he, he knows all her silliness <laughs> and he, he hasn't got much time for it, to be honest. Uh, he, he, he's only really there because he doesn't trust her and just wants to keep an eye on her as much as she wants to keep an eye on him, I think. As you're doing your rounds, you weren't explicitly told to check on the stone circle, but you notice as you're heading in that direction near the near the glowworm cave that the charms that Ginny has woven around that stone circle have broken. They're, they're tattered, fraying, swaying in the wind, uh, whatever these charms sort of look like. What, what sort of thing have you put on the stone circle, Ginny? Uh, I think there's a series of yeah, carvings of runes that mean absolutely nothing yeah. but to the untrained eye look as if they've you know been carved by the druids a thousand years prior it's kind of the equivalent of getting a, a, a tattoo in uh, the chinese language and when it <laughs> translated it means something completely different to what you think it means is that sort of uh, uh, feeling that oh well it looks old and the calligraphy and the swirling is all very very lovely um, but actually it means nothing I think there's been some artificially grown, or sorry, magically grown uh, moss um, and perhaps a little, uh, some ivy that creeps around the stone circles. And the place is just constantly uh, imbued with the, the, the smell of, a, of a, a cold spring morning, the smell of dew on a meadow. Okay, so what you notice, Cam, as you're passing is that the magically grown moss and ivy around the, stone cir- around the, the circles of this stone circle have withered and turned brown. 
and you notice that that smell, that sort of cold, dewy morning smell, has turned sour. What do you do? Um, how, how far away is the circle from the gift shop, would you say, Josh? Um, it's only about 200, 300 metres away. Okay. All of our attractions are within easy walking distance and uh, totally uh, uh, disabled access friendly. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, well, maybe if I notice that if we're that close, then maybe I will have... Um, I'll do two things, because... I know enough about weird stuff to know when something's wrong with weird stuff, it can only be bad. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to go to the gift shop and just say, uh, hey, um, old one. Yes, Ken? There's the, uh, you know that circle thing that you've got that like smells nice in the mornings? Oh yes, I know very well. Quite a big attraction with the Americans for certain. They like their photos in, in front of it. What do they call them now? Selfies. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sel- enough of yeah them, selfies. Yep. Um, well, it doesn't. It's the morning, and it doesn't smell nice anymore. And the moss. Oh, and stuff Cameron, also- what have you done over there? <coughs> you haven't been using those harmful chemicals that you want to go and buy for me from the supermarket, do you? I told you it doesn't work on ancient arcanic ruins, my love. As she's cut me off mid-sentence, I just close my mouth and stare at her, and turn around and walk away. C- Cameron, what? And I go to my caravan. <laughs> And I pick up a duffel bag, and I walk back to the circle. Ginny replaces the uh, price tags uh, on the uh, on the animal print mugs um, from five ninety nine each to uh, let's say nine ninety nine each, and then exits the gift shop, taking in the view and the vista of Sheridan. Another beautiful day in the God's green country. She wanders over towards the stone circle. I I meet her halfway with duffel bag in hand. Oh, Cameron, it smells disgusting. What have you done to my incantations? I keep walking. Cameron? Oh, it's horrible. Come on, stop this. What? You, just stop you. Stop me? Look, I I haven't done any... Obviously, I haven't done anything, because I... Cameron, 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 I I know you're upset. I know you're angry. I know what's happened to you in the past has been traumatic and I'm listening to you. And I understand you, my love. You're getting all of the love from me, all of the the affection that's in my heart is is coming with you now. But that doesn't mean that you can act out and you can inflict. I have literally done nothing. This is is exactly like what happened with, 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 with that dire wolf a few weeks back, okay? What, when I saved back. your life? I, I, I didn't need to be saved, you stubborn little bugger. I've told you this several times. I had the entire operation under control, okay? It's just like this. You you, you, you need an authority figure in your life, my love. You're, you're burning with, with hatred inside, and I want to try and convert that into something more useful. Do you understand? So acting out on my stone circle and my business... Isn't a good way just, 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 of channeling that anger. Just, just look at how. What, what, what could I do? For the... Hang on, hang, hang on. You've changed the price on those mugs again, haven't you? Let's go and have a look at the stone circle. I think you're right. I'd like to examine it for myself. <laughs> Come on, Cameron. No, leave, don't, don't go back there. Come on. Just. Oh. <laughs> oh. We approach the stone circle, and Ginny's, the blood from Ginny's face just drains out, and her eyes go wide and agape. As uh, Ginny and Cameron arrive at the stone circle, across the other side of the circle, a black stallion comes to a crashing halt with a rider upon its back. What the four of you see in the stone circle is 
two bodies, both roughly humanoid, but clearly fey. One has uh, bent back legs and hooves. Uh, the other has velvety antlers. They both appear sort of um, a sort of a feminine male presentation and uh, both wear woven wooden coronets with flowers uh, woven through them. Briar recognises these two as Baron Oak and the Holly Duke. They have fallen as if in battle, as if in a struggle. There is blood or whatever equivalent Fae have scattered about. You can see cuts and stab wounds on both bodies. And also incongruously within the stone circle, sort of near the two bodies, there are some more modern looking clothes, uh, a black hoodie, a pair of tracksuit bottoms, a pair of once white trainers stained with mud, uh, which have been sliced the, the hoodie particularly has been sliced through as if by a sword. Baron Oak and the Holly Duke are both armed. Their, their ceremonial traditional blades are lying near their still hands. What would you all like to do? Um, the moment Briar sees this, horse form it drops and uh, Briar is now in their true form as a one and a half foot pointed hat, smock-wearing, pixie-like fey creature. I have an important question. Yes. Did you wait for Gwyneth to get off before you transformed? Uh, she she jumped off. <laughs> I think she sensed as soon as they arrived in the in the clearing, she uh, she jumped off and kind of slightly unnaturally floated to to the ground. It was a very cool like moment like she they they charged in and she dived off just as Briar transformed as they rushed towards the circle. Yeah. It was beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, form drop Briar, they're just going to rush forward into the circle and in shock just look at sort of like down and hunker over the the two bodies. And as they they look up towards Ginny and and Cam, just floods of tears and like just rage their teeth are going to uh, like slowly uh, sharpen and pointen their eyes will become feline and predatory and they're just going to stare at Ginny and then look at Cam and then down at the cuts and then back at Ginny before we go any further tell me it wasn't him Cameron Love, would you mind going back to the shop, closing mm. up and putting the kettle on? I don't think we're going to be opening today. And not taking her eyes off of Briar, Ginny uh, confidently walks towards him. I think uh, Gwyneth has, uh, has arrived kind of behind Briar and is standing, just looking over everything, but standing in quite a protective way. But also knowing that she trusts these two people so still trying to figure out well hang on the uh, the fey folk are definitely dead dead right there's nothing that can be done i think she's just trying to analyze that situation 
I turn around and start to leave following what Ginny has told me to do. But as I get to the edge of the circle, I just turn around to uh, to Briar and say, it wasn't me, but I know how you're feeling, mate. So don't give me your shit, all right? I turn around and walk off. In that moment, Briar's general, say, confidence kind of falters for a second and they kind of slump a bit and just kind of sob. Ginny approaches Briar, gets down uh, on her knees and rests a hand on uh, their shoulder. Briar, my love, I'm so, so sorry. This won't have been Cameron. He's been, he's a good lad. He's misguided and he's hot-headed and he's reckless. But he won't have done anything like this, my love. You have my word on that. I promise you. I know. I know. I, it's... I know. I should... I should apologise, I suppose. Let's work out your grief right now. And we can work on apologies later. Cameron will be okay. He's got a thick skin. We're going to find who did this, Ginny. We are, my love. It might, might take a bit of time. But whoever has done this to the forest will meet a swift and brutal end, I assure you. It will be Fade, Justice, Ginny. None of your mortal rubbish. The power is with you, my love. Quinn, love, do you, do you want to come and uh, kneel down next to us? I, I don't I don't think that Ginny would have needed to uh, to prompt. I think that, like, cool. at the end of that moment, Quinn would have, uh, would have done that anyway. Yeah, so she she uh, she kneels down and um, not only arms around Briar, but uh, knowing that there's no humans around at the moment, her black angelic wings also come round and form a circle around the three of them, just having a little moment of holding each other. Do they look like duck wings? They do, but well, they look like angel wings if they were made out of the feathers that are black with green shimmery duck has super waxy yeah i'd like to try and take this opportunity if i can to sort of get in in tune with briar and their uh, feelings at the moment to try and calm uh, their emotions or offer, offer them something to aid them in this situation i just uh, reach into uh, the apron that i'm wearing and just pull out a handful of uh, crushed flower leaves and a, a fine white and golden dusting powder uh, which I hold in my hands and begin to crush and I begin to utter a mnemonic incantation under my breath and it's just a sort of um, it's just a small spell to offer waves of calm within this circle and the runes of the stone circle just begin to glow ever so slightly with a not necessarily a healing aura but just a, a, a wave of understanding and shared pain between the three of us. I think Briar's teeth recede. The eyes become the large, circular, black pupils that is their standard hue. They were my family, Ginny. They were my kin. We start now. And I kind of stand to my full <laughs> one and a half height straight back and I 
would like to let out how sort of sound would it be? I think it would be a sort of cry of like uh, an eagle or some sort of bird of prey uh, that will reverberate through um, the forest uh, as a kind of it's sort of like a signal to it's communicating this this loss and this pain with the rest of the the fake court in the in the forest if it's okay i would like that to start whatever process there is in terms of like ritual in terms of burial or whatever the fae do when they they lose one of their own and i will turn back to 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 Ginny and to um to Gwyn. my people will take care of the bodies that's good we we start this now and we end this together my love i promise you that we might need to look over these bodies for any clues any signs of what's happened to them before they're taken away will you grant me the opportunity to look look them over yeah briar just nods slowly take all the time you need my people will give you that time but before the sun sets we must perform our rites I'll be swift ever since Briar's cry small birds but sort of bigger and bigger birds and bugs have started arriving and alighting on the standing stones and they sit on the stones and they watch what happens within the circle I will then kind of look to them and say the dead rest but there are those living that I must make peace with I'll be with Cam we've got things here I will just turn into a little robin and flutter towards the gift shop This has been Vigil, a main house production from Merely Roleplayers. It stars Chris Starkey as Cameron Jarvis, Natalie Winter as Gwynedd, Strat as Briar, and Josh Yard as Ginny Greenteeth. Sound design for this production is by Natalie Winter, and the theme music is by Alex Pankhurst. I'm Matt Boothman, and I play the supporting cast, as well as editing and producing this episode. We were playing Monster of the Week, a role-playing game by Michael Sands, published by Evil Hat Productions. You can find Monster of the Week at genericgames.co.nz. Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on.
I can't, I can't wait to hear what you do with that, Nat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I've got to sound design this. 